71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. How's it going, Bob? That's a big place to find one fish. Has anybody seen my son? Your son, Chico? No, it's Nemo. We're looking for Nemo. <laughs> Name's Crush. I gotta find my son, Nemo. Grab shell, dude. To find Nemo. Let's ask for directions. No! What is it with men and asking for directions? We'll take a miracle. Yeah, I saw him, but I'm not telling you where he went. Getting him back is a whole other story. <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures presents a Pixar Animation Studios film. We're gonna help him escape. Nemo, don't give up! Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. I'm coming, Nemo! Never you, my father! Come on, good hug. Oh, my stomach. No hurling on the shell, dude, okay? Just waxed it. You've got to see it. Cheers! To believe it. Nice. Finding Nemo. Everybody hold on! This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Good evening, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. I'm your host, Zach Arnold, and I am very excited to be here with you for our 201st episode. That's a really crazy thing to say. We got to be really nostalgic on our last episode, looking back at everything that we've done and all the different story arcs that we've covered, and now we're kind of reliving our childhood a little bit tonight. We had a top five episode, one of our best contributed top five episodes in the program's history, and it led to some pretty interesting results about what you want us to talk about, and so tonight we kick that off. But I can't do it alone. I wouldn't want to do it alone. So without further ado, I'm going to bring in my co-host, my friend, my good buddy. It's Mr. Ben Hart. How are you tonight, dude? I am doing absolutely fantastic and glad to be back on this show. Episode 201. I can't believe we made it 200, much less 201. So this is very, very exciting, and I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about tonight. Are we just going to get... Super excited and nostalgic for, like, every episode on, basically. At least I am. <laughs> At least I am. <laughs> every episode's a gift, man. Every Heck episode yeah. is a gift. Can't take advantage of any one of them, and we're definitely not going to do that tonight. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we talked about The Incredibles and Incredibles 2, and then we also had a top five episode where we just asked for your favorite Pixar movies. And that was, like, what, a month or two ago? Yeah. Not too far along. And in that time we found out that some of your favorite movies from the Pixar universe were movies that we had not talked about on this show yet. So tonight we get to kick it off. 
with one of the most popular ones. I mean, obviously, Incredibles and Incredibles 2, they got a lot of fame, a lot of popularity, but we've already discussed those, so we're not going to rehash an old topic that we did just a few episodes ago. One of the other ones that garnered probably, like, within the top five number of votes was the 2003 film Finding Nemo. Yeah. And what's kind of funny is its counterpart, Finding Dory, did not get one vote. That should tell you something about that sequel. Wow. That's probably the only Finding Dory reference that we're going to make this entire movie, by the way. So, I I can't make any because I haven't seen it yet. And it's been a while since you've seen this one too, hasn't it? Well, yeah, it's I I realized after I watched it or even before I watched it because I didn't have it in my collection because I looked wow. around and I'm like, okay, I I don't think I have this. And the only other copy that I know of that I had at one point was uh the victim of a hurricane. <laughs> and that hurricane was Hurricane Katrina, which was in 2005. Oh my gosh. So, wow. what led me to believe is that I have not seen this movie since 2005 or before 2005. So, goodness gracious. So, this was a thing. Still, like, all of it's still there. Like, I remember I watched it and I'm like, I can repeat these lines. Like, it just really can't. Because I watched that movie so many times back in the day. So many times. Love the movie. Still do. We'll talk about it later. But, like, it just, it's ingrained in my memory. But still, I've been so long. So, yes, I went. I bought it again. I replaced it. I finally have it back in my collection. And I'm very happy. So, how many Pixar movies do you have in your collection now that you've got this one? Uh, I bought this one on digital because that's how I buy movies now, but I have right, right. I have Toy Story and I have a couple others. I really don't have like a huge movie collection to be honest. Nothing compared to yours, of course. But like, <clears throat> well, I mean, there are very few movie collections that compare to mine. Let's be honest. <laughs> that is true. That is very. You true. came over to Dallas and you looked at that wall and you're like, I don't know what's bigger, your hat collection or your movie collection. <laughs> yeah, like yours is like if it fell on you, it would kill you. Probably. Like mine, if it <laughs> fell on you, you just stub your toe. But you are kind of the leading innovator as far as the way movie collections are going to be one of these days. Like, my uncle installs entertainment systems for a living, and he's gotten to the point where he just installs giant supercomputers in an unused closet, and those computers store terabytes of movies in them. Wow. And people will just get onto their smart TV or whatever it is that they use to watch movies from. Because there are some people that are rich enough to have, like, their own private theaters with, like, reclining leather seats and 3D glasses and stuff like that. And it's, like, a a legit projector that projects movies onto a screen for them or something like that. Like, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Wow. But... They'll have, like, these supercomputers attached to them, and they can get a remote, and they'll sit in, like, these home theaters, and they can select whatever movie they want to watch, and it'll have the entire disc's information loaded into that supercomputer, and they'll just watch everything digitally. And that was, like, four or five years ago. So I imagine that the computer systems have gotten smaller, and the storage has increased in that amount of time. So... This idea of having digital movies as part of your library is not 
unheard of. People are kind of going that direction now, and eventually, collections like mine are going to be laughed at, because nobody's going to have DVDs and Blu-rays anymore. They're all going to have those ultraviolet HD downloads onto their smart TV devices or their supercomputers or whatever. Like, discs are becoming a thing of the past, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, when 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 whoever aliens or whatever, you know, drop an EMP on or something and destroy the internet, you'll still have your movies. And That's mine true. will be gone. So That's I mean, true. It's, it's I mean, it's I'll a be, risk you have to take. I'll be like one of those I'll be like one of those preppers and my movies will become like commodities because nobody will have entertainment anymore. Wow. People will <laughs> trade their food with me in exchange for watching a Star Wars episode. Yeah. And you see, you're talking about space. Like, I have, I just counted, like, 22 movies in my digital collection. Um, And space is a problem. Like, I'm looking at it on my, on my phone, and, like, I think only one of them is downloaded because... <laughs> You know, space and everything else. Everything else is on the. So cloud. I have to kind of plan ahead if I want to watch that movie on my phone. Got to download it. You know, ahead of time because it takes a little while to download. You know, HD movie. But duh. that's true. I mean, one of these days, it'll be it'll be super easy. Like I read a fun fact online not too long ago that said um, NASA's computers can run at speeds of like 80 gigabytes per second or something like that dang like those things exist they're just not open to the public yet so one of these days we're not going to be getting internet packages of 200 megabits per second we're we're going to get you know 50 megabytes per second one of these days it's just a matter of time it is just a matter of time. But okay, so real quick, we need to we need to touch on some news that's been coming up recently. Yeah, we do. There's some pretty big yeah, stuff do. happening. And every once in a while we'll we'll get um get a newsreel going and we'll we'll cackle all the news we can at once. But well these are pretty important we need to get to before we get into our discussion tonight. And one of them, the most recent one to come up especially this week was a big casting announcement from The Arrowverse. And uh, they have now cast Batwoman. If you didn't already know, Batwoman is coming to the Airverse. I believe she's also getting her own show, her own Batwoman show, if I'm not mistaken. Seems like that's it a, wouldn't surprise me. Seems like that's a no-brainer, considering you know they kind of you know backdoor pilot these shows. You know, Flash showed up on Arrow first. All the legends are from basically all the other shows. But we now have a confirmation that Ruby Rose is going to be playing Batwoman in this new new show, or at least she'll be a camming. I don't know which show she'll show up on first. I don't know if it's going to be Arrow, because Arrow's kind of made reference to Gotham and stuff like that, and I don't know... I know nothing about Batwoman. Nothing. Other than the fact that they are kind of being faithful to comics. She is going to be gay, and which is not a big deal, considering how many gay characters are in this movie, but you know, it's good that they're, they're keeping right. the source material. And, you know, she is going to kind of be faithful there, and, you know, other than that, I don't know about her backstory. And I kind of like that because I'm like, I'm just going to watch the shows and just enjoy it. And I'll learn about this character as I go, as with most of them. I didn't know much about The Flash before I actually started watching The Flash. So <laughs> so this is going to be interesting to see and just, you know, how, what's her relationship with Batman? Does she have a relationship with Batman and Batman? <laughs> I say 
Batman. 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 He was he was scared of baths as a child. <laughs> and no. now he wears a robe when he fights crime. Guy in a mask in a bathrobe. That's Batman. <laughs> There's your new superhero, you. DC. Free money. Free superhero. There you go. There you go. Actually, no, that's not free. If I see that in a comic or on a movie screen someday, I'm going to want money for it, all right? That's my idea. We came up with it first, August the 10th, 2018. Just saying. Boom. Boom. But yeah, I agree with you. The The idea that um, there's, there's some ambiguity and that there's some left to the imagination is part of what makes... Um, Make, makes this character so intriguing, makes this addition so intriguing. Uh, it opens avenues to Gotham, like you said, and it makes you wonder, you know, just what kind of crossovers they are and are not going to make and what kind of references they are and are not going to make. Because for a long time, Oliver Queen has kind of been the Batman of the Arrowverse. Basically. He's been, he's basically. been the billionaire playboy that has a secret identity takes care of the city night that kind of thing like he's basically been batman and so now that you've got batwoman in the mix how does she factor in how do does her relationship play out with some of the other characters that sort of thing there's a lot to still be decided a lot to still be sorted out and what's interesting is arrow's coming up on like its seventh season or something like that am i right uh yeah like, i believe so it's, it's been on for a while, and some people believe that it's going to be on for quite a while longer. But even if it is on its way out, who's to say that Oliver Queen won't show up in Batwoman? You know? It's like, awesome. she has some sort of crisis, and he, like, comes out of retirement in order to try and help her save the city. That sort of thing. Um, maybe she's the one that he ends up passing the baton to. You know, when the Green Arrow finally decides it is time to retire, somebody else has to take care of Star City. Why not Batwoman? Yeah. And then you can keep the sets. You can keep a lot of the characters. You can have him come back from time to time. And it, like, keeps the show relevant, keeps the city relevant, and allows for those epic crossovers that the CW loves so much. Yeah, totally. I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, like, what they do with her and you know, how she figures into the cast, what show she's going to show up on, because that's the big thing is, you know, the crossovers and just, you know, thing. And, you know, that's that's what I appreciate about the Arrowverse is that, you know, there's constantly references, characters coming here and there, whatever. So, you know, just adding well, another character to that mix. And, and Ruby Rose is actually a really, really good choice for this because she actually has some connections to actual bats, believe it or not. Really? I watched her interview with uh, Jimmy Fallon the other day. She was really emotional about it. Like, you could tell that she was on the verge of getting choked up on live TV, and she wasn't about to do that. But um, she said that she found out about her casting one hour before the red carpet premiere of her new movie, The Meg. Mm, yeah. And she had a really hard time not breaking down and keeping it together during the red carpet premiere because she was super excited about the news. And then she also told him, she told Jimmy that when she was a child, her mom actually kept bats as a pet. Wow. She, she found these little bats that needed to be nursed back to health 
and, you know, her mom took care of them and, and brought them back. And by the time they were healthy again, they had gotten used to living in the house. They'd been domesticated, essentially. They couldn't survive in the wild. So they basically just had bats that flied around the house and pooped everywhere until they died. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. So Ruby Rose actually has some connections to bats as creatures and Batwoman as a character. And so she's really excited to play the role. And, and she's a fantastic actress. If you've seen her in Orange is the New Black, then you know what I'm talking about. So it's exciting just as a whole. And I'm excited to see uh, what they do with, with Ruby Rose and what they do with her character moving forward. It's going to be cool. It is definitely going to be really, really interesting. Um, and another piece of news we've got, and to kind of move on from that, is actually a rumor, and it's from a completely different franchise, the Star Wars franchise, one of our favorites. Surprise, and, surprise. Surprise, surprise. And this this is actually, of course, should point out, completely unconfirmed rumor, but it does come from MakingStarWars.net, and if you're not familiar very prominent and very trusted source. They've scooped tons and tons of things about the movies. If you paid attention, you will know that, you know, they they're pretty much they pretty much leak the movies before they come out. Um so like, you know, they know a lot of stuff and, you know, it's it's no surprise it would be no surprise that this is true. So basically what's going on here is that we know what the content of the live-action Star Wars series is going to be. This is a produced showrunner, whatever, by John Favreau, and uh, who has history with Star Wars. Just recently was in Solo: a Star Wars Story as Rio Durant, and now we learned that it's going to be set on Mandalore. Now we l- previously learned this is a fact that it's only two or three years after Return of the Jedi, where it's set in the right. timeline. So we know that for a fact, but in addition to this, we know that now it appears it's going to be sent on Mandalore, dealing with Mandalorian stuff. I mean, that pretty much lines up with everything that we know so far. We know Clone Wars is going to be dealing with the Siege of Mandalore and all that kind of stuff. We know, you know, the Siege of Mandalore is tied to Darth Maul. Darth Maul is tied to Solo. You know, Darth Maul is also, and the Mandalorians are also tied to Star Wars Rebels. Like, it all kind of fits together and seems to make sense that this is going the right direction. Hashtag it's all connected. There you go. So now it seems like just waiting on a confirmation. We don't know when this is coming out. We just know it's going to be on the Disney streaming service whenever that is actually launched. But sounds pretty exciting. Mandalorians on Mandalore dealing with, I don't know, Mandalorians go to war with each other because... You know, <laughs> that's what they do. They hate each other and they kill each other. Like, that's kind of what they do. So, like, what do you think about this? Do you, are you excited that we might be getting actual Mandalorians on in live action finally? Well, dude, here's the thing. Uh, Favreau already has experience with Mandalorians because he was the voice of Pre Vizsla in the Clone Wars. Exactly. So he's got, like, some recollection of what the Mandalorians are and what they stand for, and the fact that they're trying to return to their former self, their glory days, that sort of thing. And so I feel like he's the perfect choice to lead a Mandalorian-oriented show. And, excuse me, I'm getting choked up over this. Um, And the idea of being able to see a live-action Mandalore, if you've watched The Clone Wars, you know how amazing Mandalorian architecture is. 
to see that in real life is going to be breathtaking. Oh, yeah, totally. If that's true, the sets are going to be unparalleled. The, 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 um, the, the cost per episode is going to have to be outrageously high so that you can have an accurate depiction of the towers that exist in Mandalore. I mean, it's going... It's going to be astronomical, but at the same time, being able to see a like a Mandalorian civil war as they fight for control over the capital and that sort of thing. If this is the direction that it's going, then yeah, it's going to have huge implications for the way it connects to Rebels, to the way that it connects to Episode 7, potentially, to the way it connects to Solo. There's There's a lot of potential ramifications here, and the fact that they're setting it after... Return of the Jedi makes it even more interesting because the way Mandalore sways could be the way that several other similar systems end up swaying during this time of the fall of the Empire. So it's going to be great to see how the Alliance may try and intervene, if they even do try and intervene. Um, if Mandalore did, tries to become an independent planet like it did during the Clone Wars, how many other planets are going to try and choose that and stay away from this new republic, worrying that they're going to become another empire? Like, you're right. The connections and possibilities are seemingly endless, and that's part of what's so exciting. Yeah, totally. And it's it's just, I mean, you look at the sequel trilogy. I mean, this is set post the Jedi. The sequel trilogy has been very, you know, very, you know, micro-focused on the story of the Skywalkers and all that kind of stuff. Not we haven't gotten the story of what happened to the rest of the galaxy, you know, especially under the first order. So, like, what are the Mandalorians doing during the sequel trilogy? Well, maybe this will give us an answer to that. Maybe this will kind of set up like what's going on with the Mandos and Mandalorian territory and what they're doing, and you know, who knows? Like, I think this show could really set up going forward what the Mandalorian story is going to be because. That's what I'm interested in is the story going forward. I want to know what's going on in episode 9 and after that and all this kind of stuff. And this could lead to that. And we're, all these stories seem to be – we have Resistance now coming. We have this show. Everything's pointing forward into the future. And I think most people are interested in that timeline. So, you know, and this could easily fill in the gaps and tell us, hey, you know, what happened after Return of the Jedi? Well, we finally get the answer to that in a – you know – you know, we weren't thinking about Mandalorians, but I kind of want to think about Mandalorians. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so the Mandalorians are just a popular people group in general. Like, they've been some of the most viewed episodes of the Clone Wars and of Rebels. Their history and their lore goes all the way back to the Knights of the Old Republic video game that people love to play. Mm -hmm. uh, Jango Fett, Boba Fett both wore Mandalorian armor. So the Mandos have been a part of Star Wars on multiple fronts, books, TV, movies, video games for years, but we really just haven't had a chance to explore them in the depth that they deserve. So if this is the direction that they're going, reminder, this is just a rumor until it's confirmed by Lucasfilm, but if this is the direction that they're going it will most likely prove to be very popular. They've got a great person at the helm. Whoever they end up casting, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, who they would cast as the stars for this thing because it'll it'll be really, really interesting to see who they get and how they're going to play off of each other because Mandalorian hierarchy is a very 
intricate, delicate process. And it'll be really interesting to watch how all of that plays out on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And just, you know, getting that story. And everybody loves Mandos. Everybody loves Boba Fett and Jango Fett. They're the coolest freaking people in the galaxy. Like, you can't, like, uh, that's literally, like, the Mandalorian costume is one of the coolest, like, in cinema, like, period. So, like, you know, Well, I mean, that's where you get... Of... That's where you get most yeah. of your cosplayers nowadays. Like, the, man, you either dress up Mercs, as a Jedi or you dress up as a Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's and crazy. The, imagine, it, it leaves a lot to the imagination, too, because, you know, like we saw with with the Nutsatine, Sabine, you can color... You are right? I get choked up over these stories. That's what I get for trying to eat a French fry while doing a discussion topic. Um, <laughs> just going to be honest, I'm human. I get hungry, okay? And it sometimes I, the best of sometimes us. I choke on my own words. Big deal. I don't but I don't learned, need food in my mouth to trip over my words, just so you know it. That that takes a lot of talent, dude. That really does. Yeah. Or uh, lack of but, talent. <laughs> But as we learned from Sabine, you can express your creativity and still hold true to your Mandalorian heritage. So that'll be really cool to see both in the cosplays and in the show itself if they choose to go that route. So I'm really looking forward to whatever Favreau produces, but I would especially be looking forward to this if that's what he's working on. That sounds really cool. I agree. Favreau's great. Mandalorians are great. Seems like a perfect, perfect mix. So, okay, I think I think it's now time that we get into the discussion topic tonight, that we get into what we came here to yeah, discuss. Yeah, the thing that we actually, yeah, I was about to say, the thing that we actually said we were going to talk about, and then we, like, sidestepped and started talking about the news, which is a new element that we're going to try and integrate here on the podcast a little bit more. Just, you know, each of us finding maybe one thing that we found that was, like, the highlight of the week that we want to talk about. We bring up a couple of things, and then we jump into the discussion, just so that we're a little bit more rounded and staying relevant. So this was this was a good talk, and I'm looking forward to talking about Finding Nemo because while we're looking at present stuff, Finding Nemo has been a huge part of my past for several years. Um, I didn't watch it when it first came out back in 2003. Um, I was only like 10 years old when it, happened, when it came out. I, I didn't and, watch it in the theater either. Yeah, yeah, no. I didn't watch a whole lot of movies in the theater when I was a kid. Same. Most of the time we most of the time we waited to hear from like friends and family what they thought of it. But by the time they went and saw it, it was already on video or it was already on DVD. And yeah, so yeah. then we would just go rent it from Blockbuster or whatever. That shows how old I am. Blockbuster actually existed when I was a kid. I'm telling you, it's um, weird. Yeah, I mean like Here's the here's the really weird thing, and you mentioned this on Facebook the other day. All of these podcasts are basically like an archive of our lives. Yeah. So one of these days, I could end up having a grandkid listening to my podcast, hearing me talk about the things that I enjoyed as a person in my 20s, and I'll make a reference to something like Blockbuster or MoviePass or... Hulu or something like that and they'll be like what the heck is a Hulu <laughs> like who knows Hulu may be non-existent by the time I have grandkids I don't know I know MoviePass is going to be going out of business soon they're just <laughs> not doing good I Goodness. heard it's kind of a garbage they, fire they made this huge surge in like a year and then like a year later they're like 
fizzling out, and I'm just like, man, I'm so glad <sighs> I didn't sign up for that. I am going to spend my money on the on the Disney streaming service, not on a movie pass. Thank you very no, much. No, that's better. Money, but, money better spent. Yeah, for sure. But going back to Finding Nemo, we did not get very positive reviews of that movie when I was a kid. Really? Because um, the way people described it to my parents, it was uh, it, it was more or less about a rebellious teenager who lashes out at his dad and um, in his open defiance has to deal with the repercussions of his actions and the dad coddles him to the point that he doesn't feel bad for what he did and doesn't really learn anything by the end of the movie. And looking back now at this picture, I guess I can kind of see that. Like, there are some elements to that that are true, but at the same time, that's a very, very narrow view of a movie that actually touches on a lot of things. Like, a lot of things. Yes, it deals with teenage rebellion. Yes, it deals with the consequences of your actions. But it also deals with the embracing of the special needs community. It also deals with the struggles of being a single parent. It also tackles what length a parent is willing to go to in order to protect their child. It is an adventure story. It's a story about friendship and loyalty and camaraderie. It's got a lot of really, really cool elements in it that that particular review that we got as a kid seemed to completely overlook. And I suffered for it. I didn't get to see that movie until I watched it for myself several years later. And when I did, by golly, I loved the heck out of it. Yeah, I, as I said before, like, I have this movie pretty much memorized in my head. It's it's in there. I I had forgotten that I memorized it, but I watched it so many times. It's ridiculous. And it's just as you were saying like it, there's so many great moral messages in there and just so many great like things that even as a even as a kid you're going to pick up on this stuff. Like just the, old, the whole thing with, you know, loss and losing like it i mean this is this movie starts very dark this, it does it, it starts on a it's really like it starts on a really like happy one of the note. darkest starts in all of pixar like it starts really happy with a mom and a dad talking about this great house they have and all the kids they're gonna have like it's very happy and it takes a downward spiral left turn that you did not see coming it's incredibly dark and, you know, you don't see anything, but, like, this is a kid's movie, guys, but it doesn't help pull any punches in, you know, showing you tragedy, or at least implying tragedy, and, you know, showing how people deal with that, and, you know, making, you know, and just the whole process of, like, that happening and Marlon just becoming a just just super overprotective parent, which is a kind of a, a cliche thing to put into a movie, but at the same time, it's very realistic. Even parents that haven't suffered tragedies or have a reason to be paranoid are paranoid anyway. Like, I don't, I couldn't, I could, you know, 
my parents, I think, are a bit overbearing. Some were overbearing, I should say. Like, you know, they I don't think I don't think they would let me go to the bathroom by myself until I was like eighteen. Like they were, you know, pretty protective of me, and I didn't. I I appreciated it, and I still appreciate it because you know you, you don't you, you you protect your kids, and that's that's a that's a normal thing. But you know there is a certain that's the whole thing with you know overprotective parents is sometimes they go a bit too far. Marlon's just overboard with it, but it's about him learning to be a a good father, really, and and you know you know having to being forced away from his kid you know going through the whole motion and learning about learning about Dory learning about himself learning about learning to trust Nemo and all this kind of stuff these are great lessons to be learned from point of view and you know from Nemo's perspective it's also this great adventure this great thing but ultimately coming out on the other side a better I don't want to say person fish a better fish <laughs> and that that is you know doing things right and you know, not to be so scared, you know, because your dad is scared for you. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, this is what you do when dad's not around. Yeah. This is, this is how you cope. This is how you learn to take care of yourself. And I mean, teenagers need lessons like that. You know, eventually your parents aren't going to be there to help you take care of certain things. You're going to have a bill. You're going to have a parking ticket. You're going to have tuition expenses for college. You're going to have these things that pop up that maybe you're the only one who can take care of it. Ultimately, it's your decision. You have to decide what you're going to do for yourself and the people around you. And that's a lesson that Nemo has to learn when you know he realizes he may have a, a, a physical disadvantage, but he's the only one that's physically able to go into the tank uh, into into the filter to try and save everybody and he tries it reluctantly at first because of peer pressure but then he does it again of his own accord because he's thinking about others and because he's thinking about how this is a decision that he needs to make in order to get back to his dad yeah and, and he ultimately a, he fails the first time partially because of his lack of confidence and right. his his you know lack of feeling that he can actually do it he's so scared and you know later when it actually he actually does it he just goes in there you know and it's like right. i'm gonna get the job done and he does it and it's fine and he's you can tell he's grown as a character that now this 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 little fish that was doing not brave things but stupid things like going on don't touch the butt like he goes out there <laughs> specifically to touch the boat not because he's brave but because he's being rebellious and he's like screw right. you dad you're you're embarrassing right. me you're being way overprotective i'm gonna do what i want to do instead he's doing it because he's doing he comes around and does something actually brave that actually means something and he did it because he was brave and he was you know in the right headspace Right, right. So it's about maturity, mm -hmm. you know, how he grows up by the end of this movie. Um, and it's also, it, it, you're right, it's also about doing things out of maturity rather than out of impulse. Right. So it, it's a growing up tale. And we, we learn what it's like for Nemo the fish to grow up. And we learn what it's like for Marlon, his dad, to adapt to those changes that are going on. Yeah. 
uh, among other things. You know, there, there, like I said, there's so many different elements and components to this story that help make it so well done. It's a really well-written story. It's got a lot of messages in it, but in the midst of those messages, it's also got a lot of fun. You you go and have all these kinds of adventures, like the the, the ceremony in the fish tank, or the the Marlin and Dory being stuck inside of a whale, or yeah. you know they go down into the depths of the ocean and they encounter an anglerfish. You know they take you on all these different wild rides through the jellyfish forest. You know. All these different elements of the ocean that you can only explore there from the perspective of a fish. It's great storytelling. It's really great storytelling that you can include all these adult elements, but still make it visually compelling and adventurous and fun enough for kids to embrace and enjoy. This is Pixar at its finest. This is Pixar at its peak. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. It's 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 the perfect storm of just greatness. It's got you know just looking at this. Watch this movie with the sound off. Like it's oh my gosh, yeah, gorgeous. It's one oh could my be, gosh. I mean, it's it's easily one of the most beautiful Pixar films of all time. And Pixar's I made a lot it. of beautiful films. Yeah. But it's oh, not yeah. like it's it's beauty like Incredibles. We just talked about Incredibles. Like Incredibles is beautiful in its own way, but it's more cooler. It's more stylized. Whereas Find Nemo embraces kind of the realism of like this is not humans. And I think I've watched documentaries and stuff like that about how they struggled in the early days of Pixar to actually get humans right because you know there is that uncanny valley type of thing where. We'll accept a fish talking, but if you put it, you animate a human, it's a lot harder. That's why Incredibles, the Incredibles characters are so stylized, they're so different because they're supposed to be cartoony because we can accept them better as caricatures of, you know, people. Whereas you have this, whereas the really the only cartoony parts are like the faces of the fish and the characters, whereas most of the other stuff, you have the anemones. Anemones. Just the whole, the coral reef and all this kind of stuff. It's 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 gorgeous. It's absolutely breathtaking. And you just have that on, just on its own. It's, it's gorgeous. The visuals are just amazing. Oh, and you dude. couple that with the story, the the, 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 the moral choices, the, 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 just the overall, like, the heart of the film, which is like, it's. I think that's the best kind of comedies. Again, the comedy is fantastic, but it's grounded in reality. It's grounded in real, true choices and morals, and just great storytelling and heart. And you feel for these characters, even though they're fish, they're talking fish, yeah. but they're so real in all of their things. And you know, you have even a character like Dory, who is this ridiculous, this ridiculous concept of a fish. With, with short-term memory loss, but her story is so tragic, and her, you know, you get the idea that you know she is this just lonely, lonesome character that finally has a breakthrough. That she meets someone, then she's finally starting to remember, and she's trying to hold on to that. Like, it's heartbreaking, and it's so moving, and you know, just the relationship between Nemo and Marlin, and all this kind of stuff, and all the different characters, it's ridiculous, it's funny, it's heartwarming, it's heartbreaking, it's all the things in one, it's it's a fantastic, it's just a brilliant piece of cinema. Dude, I, I, I could not agree more. 
And, and this is one of the hard parts about, uh, about, about podcasting with someone that's like-minded with you is <laughs> we're like a hundred percent on the same page with this. Like, I'm sure you were about to say the same thing. I don't even know where, I don't even know where we're, where, like, where we're going to disagree about anything on tonight's show. And it may become like a little too happy for some people. They're like, where's the conflict in this? Where are they going to, where are they going to fight and like tell jokes about each other and make fun of each other's moms and stuff like that? I'm like, I, I don't think that's going to happen tonight. I really don't. Because, yeah. you know, like I said, Finding Nemo has been a part of my life for probably the better part of a decade for various reasons. Um, I, I've probably mentioned this on the show a couple of times previously, but before I went into journalism, before I went into sports media, when I was in high school, my goal was to become a marine biologist. And Finding Nemo came during a time when I was very fixated on being a marine biologist. And the fact that there was somebody out there who had been on these deep sea excursions to get inspiration for the animation, I was jealous of those artists and creative consultants. And to have somebody that is trying to dive into the psyche of fish and sharks and whales and what have you, uh, seagulls, whatever whatever the animals may be, you know, the, the, the idea that there's somebody already trying to understand their behaviors and characteristics and humanize them, you know, it's just fantastic. It's, it's just so, so fantastic. And then there's uh, the scene in the fish tank where Nemo is initiated into the club. Yeah. And when he makes it through the ring of fire, he gets a name change. He, 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 gets, he gets his name changed from Nemo to Sharkbait. And I don't know if you heard that ding-a-ling. Did that come through? Um, no, I did not hear anything. Was there some sort of chung-chung that came up? Because I got a notification from Windows right when I'm about to go into a tangent, and I'm like, go away! Go away! I don't want you here. I don't, I just don't know what Zencaster will pick up. I guess it doesn't pick up on notifications like that. Interesting. No, no. By the way, we're trying a new broadcasting service, in case you didn't notice. We're using Mixler, yes, but we're also... Uh, doing some production stuff that's a little behind the scenes using a new product called Zencaster, and it's really cool. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's, I'm it's also really being a little ADD like Dory is. So, <laughs> <laughs> distraction, distraction. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back in. I'm gonna reel it back in. The term shark bait is one that has been with me for about a decade now. I'm coming up on 25, and when I was 15, I applied to a summer camp. Um, where you didn't use your real name, everybody had to have nicknames. And my nickname was Sharkbait. Uh-huh. And it was really cool because I, I was I would be working and walking through the camp and somebody would try and get my attention and they would yell out, Sharkbait! And then somebody else in some <laughs> other part of the camp would hear that and they'd yell out, Ooh-ah-ha! And so it kind of like became this this running gag of like shark bait, ooh And for a while, it was like one of the most popular names in camp. And then the further away we got from 2003, the fewer kids understood the Finding Nemo reference. Oh no! Because by then it was like 2012, 
So that was like nine years removed. So when I was about two or three years into my tenure there, there were like five and six year olds that I was taking care of that had never seen Finding Nemo before. And so I would have the nickname Sharkbait and they'd be like, so does that mean you're scared of sharks? (laughs) Oh, God. And we'd go swimming at the swimming pool and they'd be like, hey, Sharkbait, I'm a shark. I'm going to eat you. And then they'd chase me around the pool trying to bite me. And then a real shark came in and ate them. I wish. Good <laughs> grief, I wish. Um, but it was it was always a really, really fun time because the staff members understood the reference and we had a lot of fun with it. And I embraced it as like my nickname. For a long time on Facebook, I had Sharkbait as my middle name. I would address myself as like Zach Sharkbait Arnold. I don't use my middle name for other reasons, and so for a long time, Sharkbait was my middle name. I I just addressed That's myself a great as little Zach name. Sharkbait Arnold, and so Finding Nemo lore and and just the the story and the nickname Sharkbait, it's all been a part of me for ten, eleven, twelve years now, and it's not something that I'm ever going to let go of or forget. You know. Can. That that part of your past is not something that ever really goes away. It's sweet memories because I, I don't work at that camp anymore. But I'll see people in real life. Like one of one of my coworkers from that camp is now one of my coworkers at the baseball team that I work for. Mm. He works in the concession stand and he's going to fill in as uh, as the team mascot for the last few games of the season. And as soon as he came in to work on the first day and I was there for my first day, he just kind of rolled his eyes and he's like, of course, Sharkbait's going to be working here. Why wouldn't he be? (laughs) And it was really cool because we kind of got to like rekindle our friendship and it was all thanks to that camp and all thanks to that nickname. So, and you know, that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. It really is. You're going to have people coming up to you in like 50 years going, hey, Sharkbait. You 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 never know the impact that you have on people, man. Like one other story that I'm going to take from from camp that is shark bait related. I remember about a year or two after I finished working at the camp, like I had realized that my time was up. It was time to do other things. I was walking through my local Kroger's, just going to pick up my prescription or get a jug of milk or something like that. Like I wasn't doing anything special and I wasn't wearing anything special. I didn't even have like my camp uniform on or anything like that. It was just me going to Kroger's and I walked into the store and I walked past the customer service desk. Cause everybody has to walk past that to get to the supermarket part of it. And as I did, I heard this soft little gasp <gasps> and I didn't know where it came from, so I just kind of swiveled my head a little bit. And this kid, no older than seven, looked at me the way I would look at Johnny Depp. (laughs) Like, eyes wide, jaw dropped, and I smiled and, like, maybe winked at him or something and kept on walking. And as I walked away, I heard this soft little voice whisper to himself, and he went, Is that shark bait? I love it. And it just, it touched me. I was like, 
Oh my gosh, I don't even remember you. I'm sorry, I don't even know your name. I don't even know if you were in my group. Maybe you were just somebody at camp who recognized a camp counselor. But that was one of the coolest outside of camp moments I ever had because he recognized me and gasped at the sight of me as if I were some sort of celebrity. And so that's that's what the Sharkbait name is affiliated with for me. You know, it's making an impact on kids' lives. It's, you know, doing really fun, really cool stuff. It's having adventures. And that's exactly what Finding Nemo is about. It's about having a positive influence on kids. It's about going on adventures. It's all of that. And it's like part of that is tied into me now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And And it's all due to this film, this film's yep. impact on you and on everyone. I mean, I think anyone that would say, oh, Shark Bank, most people, like some people may not, but most people understand it because they know the movie and they know the significance of it, especially anyone that follows it up with, ooh because oh, yeah. obviously, like, that's straight from the movie. It's just this giant in-joke. And now that I think a lot of, I guess 90s, early 2000s kids, I guess like us, are on the internet, you see that a whole lot more now. Like, you know, you, 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 I think if you yelled out Shark Bank just in public, people would go, ooh, ha, ha, just, just thing, because all those kids now are grown up, and yep. they are in the public consciousness, and they are paying attention. And, you know, this movie is just, you know, Finding, finding Dory brought it back some, I think, you know, just kind of in, into public consciousness, but still, like, the, the impact this movie has it's just phenomenal yeah totally man it, it was it, it was and still is one of those things that will stand the test of time like to this day i still have not seen anything that better represents ocean life and animated oceanography than finding nemo the the water animation that they did here was was fluid and it was majestic and it made all the characters look so natural you didn't sense that the movement was choppy and yet you still understood what currents looked like like when you see the east australian current you can tell when water is moving faster you can tell when waves are being built you look at deep sea stuff when you're with the anglerfish you see the mid-levels you see coral reefs you see harbors there's so many different aspects of aquatic life that they touch on and each one of them is just as brilliant as the other i still have not seen animation to this day 15 years later that looks as solid and consistent and well done as the animation they put in this movie. Yeah, I yeah, it it's stunning to look at it right now and other animated films that we've talked about like Incredibles, which if I'm not mistaken, when Incredibles come out, Incredibles came out, okay, this is this is telling. The Incredibles, which is a different kind of movie, you know, understandably, still by Pixar came out in 2004 a year after finding nemo incredibles yeah. you watch you know especially compared to incredibles 2 like watching that after so many years later it's dated 
it's a bit dated. And, you know, maybe it's just the style of the movie, style of the animation, what have you. I'm not knocking Incredibles. Fantastic movie. One of the best movies ever, in my opinion. But you will compare it to this, the animation, they just, I think, they must have spent, like, way more time getting the animation right and getting it perfect on this movie because it really is just watching it right now. I just watched it the other day. It's gorgeous. It's just, it's, it's breathtaking how just beautiful and vibrant the colors are and the color schemes and all the different environments they go to from these bright and colorful ones to the dark ones to inside the whale and you know Sydney and inside the doctor's office like all of them are just so articulate and done and like all that stuff has to be created they didn't shoot any on location stuff like <laughs> any every bit of it was created by a human being with, with a lot of time like it's amazing it's true it's true. I got to give a lot of props and a lot of credit to the animators for this film. They did a fantastic job, better than anything I could have hoped for. Um, but you know, while we're on the, this topic of things that are well created, let's talk about some of the characters that they created for this movie. I mean, the stars are obviously Nemo and Marlin and Dory. They're like mm-hmm. the top billing. But then you've also got other characters like Gil, who's kind of becoming like a mentor to Nemo in the fish tank. You've got, um, who is it, Bruce the shark yep. in yep. in this film. You've got Mr. Ray, the teacher. Um, isn't he played by John Ratzenberger? Isn't that the John Ratzenberger character? Um, No. Maybe? Maybe? No, you're right. No, no, the no, school no you're, of right, fish. you're right. The school That's of not... fish. That's not who it is. It's the school of fish. You're right. But oh my gosh, do those two guys sound a lot alike? They did. When or I was watching me? this, when I was watching this again, I'm like, because back in the day when I first watched this movie, I don't think I knew who John Ratzenberger was. Like, I, I didn't, hadn't even made the connection at that point that, oh, that's the guy that's in Cheers. He's also in Empire Strikes Back. I didn't do that. Like, I'm watching right. this movie now, and like, it blew my mind when I watched Incredibles again. I'm like, oh my gosh, John Ratzenberger voices the the underminer like i never caught that like even like thinking about it in the past and then of course you get to the the part where you have the school of fish that's mocking marlin and he plays those guys uh, or at least one of those guys but like you're right but the but the ray sounds a lot like him too yeah yeah okay so here's 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 the cast for this movie the comedian albert brooks is marlin Mm-hmm. We all know Ellen plays the voice of Dory. And then you've got Willem Dafoe as the voice of Gil. That blew my mind. I I, I didn't know that. I just didn't make that connection. Willem Dafoe is the voice of Gil. Brad Garrett is Bloat the Blowfish. Of course. Allison Janney is the voice of Peach. Uh, who else have we got? Joe Ramp, may he rest in peace, is the voice of Jacques. Um... Who did we have? Bob Peterson was the voice of Mr. Ray. Bob yeah. Peterson. I love Jeff- Jeffrey Rush. I love is Nigel. Dang it. That was, <laughs> dang it. I was coming back around to that. I'm sorry. I was, was going to circle back around to that. That's one of my favorite pieces of trivia to give to people is that the, uh, the pirate Captain Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean is also Nigel the seagull from finding nemo it's crazy really is like what a crazy like piece of trivia is that nobody nobody's really going to pick up on that unless you're looking for it or unless you stumble across it the way we did but 
it just goes to show what a versatile actor he is, that he can do the voice of a seagull, or he can do a, a great character like Barbosa. Yeah, yeah. And also, credit to Andrew Stanton, who I believe is only, his only, like, credits are in these Pixar movies. Crush. Oh my god, I love Crush. You rock, oh, Spurt! Like, Crush is the best. Well, okay, so Stanton works for Pixar. Yeah, I think he's he, he's uh, he was yeah. he was the he was the director of Nemo. He was a co-director for Bugs Life. He directed Wall-E. He directed Finding Dory, and he actually directed two episodes of Stranger Things. Really? Wow. I mean, he's got he's got the credit for that anyway. He's doing the original story for um, Toy Story Four. He yeah. did the story for Toy Story 3. Uh, he did the screenplay for Monsters, Inc. And the screenplay for both Toy Story 1 and A Bug's Life. Wow. So, Stanton is pretty much, like, he's pretty he's pretty much like Mr. Pixar, essentially. Because he does voices, he does screenplay, he does uh, directorial roles... Um, let me see. What else has he done? He was, uh, da, 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 da. he was the voice of evil Emperor Zerg in Toy Story 2. What? What? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Apparently. He was. Oh, my mind. But here's the interesting thing. The, uh, the voice of. Evil Emperor Zerg in the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, The Adventure Begins animated movie. Zerg is then voiced by Wayne Knight. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. What'd you say? Okay, so do you remember... Do you remember Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, like the movie and the TV series? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, okay, so they made a, they made a movie to introduce the TV show. And they actually got Tim Allen to come back as the voice of Buzz Lightyear for that movie. Wow. And then for the TV series, they got Patrick Warburton to be the voice of Buzz. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. In the movie, The Adventure Begins, the one that kickstarted it, it's basically the Buzz Lightyear version of the Clone Wars movie. Okay. And and in that movie, they got Wayne Knight from Jurassic Park, Toy Story 2, and Space Jam to be the voice of evil emperor zerg wow that's i'd like to hear that that's that sounds interesting like, like 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 his other role in that universe is al from house toy bar right right uh, this guy uh, i know i don't mean to go off on too much of a tangent but it just further solidifies his title as king of the 90s Totally, totally. He deserves it. Give it to him. Because like crown. he was, he was in Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. He was in Jurassic Park. He was Officer Dawn in Third Rock from the Sun. He was, uh, obviously Newman in Seinfeld. Yes. Like I would love to just meet this guy. This this Mister Versatile. Like he's not. He's not the best looking dude, but he made his way as just a fantastic, funny actor. 
and he he found he found his groove and he stuck to it and I respect that a lot. Totally. But, you know, okay, so here's 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 a here's a good tie-in question to kind of bring it all back around. What kind of role or what kind of animal could you see Wayne Knight playing in Finding Nemo? If he had gotten a role, what kind of character would he have been? Mm, that's a good question. What kind of what kind of role could he play? Uh, I'm thinking octopus, maybe. Okay, I could I could see that. I could see that, especially since I wasn't crazy about the octopus that they did peer, put in the sequel movie. Um, I could see him as one of the turtles, possibly, like a like a grouchy turtle instead of a, a super suave, cool turtle like Stanton was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could I could also see him. As like one of one of Nigel's friends, like a seagull maybe. Uh, actually, Nigel's a pelican. I take that back. Mm-hmm. The seagulls yeah. are the ones that are always screaming mine, and he calls them rats with wings. Yep, yep. So I uh, need to make a revision on that. Sorry, folks. I don't know why I called him a seagull earlier. Um, oh boy. But okay, characters. Just yeah. characters in general. Who was your favorite character in this movie? Like, I know you, I know you yeah. said you really enjoyed Crush, but you only had, like, two scenes. Right. Is that enough to warrant being, like, your favorite character of the whole movie, or did you have another favorite character? Mm, I think Crush is up there. I think... I don't know his name off the top of my head, but the Bubbles guy. That's the his Bubbles. name. His name is Bubbles. His name is Bubbles. <laughs> he's my favorite character. It cracked. Look, it's, it's always cracked me up when he's on screen. Like, just freaking kills me every time. Yeah, I mean, like, his first appearance is like, Bubbles! My Bubbles. And then later on, when it's contaminated, he's looking at it and he's going, Oh, I love I love it when they do the uh, Mount Wanahakalugi and they're doing the shark bait <laughs> yes. thing. And he's like, they slap him like, shut up, shut up. Like, get back in line. He can't stand it, though. Oh, dude, so funny and he's he's a he's a very underrated character i'm glad you mentioned him because him and gurgle the one that's a germaphobe were probably like two of the funniest characters in the fish tank if you didn't have the two of them playing off of everybody else who's basically like everybody else is the straight man then you have a very boring fish tank i'll be totally honest if you don't have bubbles and gurgle you've got a very boring fish tank i'm just gonna put that out there also fish tanks if i ever get a fish tank i want it to look like that yeah, like I do. Everybody, everybody models their fish tanks after the Finding Nemo fish tanks. They set the freaking tone. I went to a, a zoo one time in Waco, Texas, and they had a very small aquarium that was part of it. And one of the little exhibits that they had in that aquarium was for tropical fish. And they had clownfish they had blue tangs they had yellow tangs they had a a starfish an angelfish like a lot of the fish that you see in finding nemo and in the back of the tanks resting on one of the pieces of coral 
was a diving mask. And on the back strap of the diving mask, somebody wrote in Sharpie, P. Sherman 42, Wallaby Way, Sydney. <laughs> I love it. It was so funny. It was so classic. I had to take a picture. And I'm sure I've got that picture in my camera reel somewhere. But, you know, honestly, there are just two addresses in my entire life that I've got memorized. Mm-hmm. And it's the address that I'm currently living at. Okay, I take that back. I've got my current address, my parents' current address, and P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. Those are the only three addresses I have memorized. Yeah, totally. Me too. Because they just leave a lasting impression on you. They just they just stick with you. And that's one of the really cool things about this movie is it just sticks with you. So many lines stand out. So many characters stand out. So many scenes. Okay, if you had to pick a favorite moment, would it be the moment with the sea turtles? Is that where you would like give Crush his due? Is like when they're all when they're all on the EAC coasting to their next destination, or was it something else? I think that is a good choice. I think you made my choice for me. Um, Sorry, I'm trying. I'm not trying to steal your thunder. No, I'm just trying no, to give Crush no, his credit. You know, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm having trouble. Like there's so many. But I do love the sea turtle scene. I love that whole scene because it's it's kind of a you know, you've been through so much already and it's like it's like, Oh my gosh, they're not gonna make it or whatever and you know, Dory's been injured and all this kind of stuff and it's really kind of this heartwarming, you know, breather in the middle of the movie that like, you know, maybe everything's gonna work out, everything's gonna be fine and you know, and you also have kind of Marlin turning a corner in his you know, in his character that he's becoming, you know, you know, his whole thing is like he's trying to deal with Dory and all this kind of stuff and he's he's learning about himself as well as the entire ocean in that moment. Well, and he's got to learn to let go too because mm-hmm. he has to let go of Dory, he's got to let go of Squirt and when he's taking advice from a 150-year-old sea turtle, he's also realizing that maybe he needs to learn to let go of Nemo a little better. Yeah. yeah While totally. he's on the journey to rescue his son, he's realizing he needs to be better at letting him go. That's just great storytelling. It is. It's 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 fantastic storytelling, and it's just another feather in the cap of this movie that you know these characters are just so so relatable. They're so understandable, and you just get where they're coming from. And it's so satisfying in the end when they are you know they all have arcs. They all have you know starting points. And places where they go that is satisfying. Yeah, the the character development is an amazing, amazing thing in this movie. Because nobody ends up exactly as they were at the start of the film. And I, and I think that's a testament to the writing. Is mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, there's no stock characters in there that turn out exactly the way that they were before. Like... Gil learns something about himself and how he needs to, you know, not be so selfish. Uh, Marlin learns to let go of his son. Dory gets better memory. Uh, Nemo learns his lesson and goes on an adventure. You know, everybody has a story arc that kind of comes full circle. And that's a fantastic thing to see at the end of the movie is, you know, at the beginning, he's trying to, to let him go to school and Nemo has to be the one that wakes him up to take him to school. By the end of the movie, Marlin is the one waking Nemo up to go to school. 
you know, that that's just one of those ways to let you know, hey, we are not where we were at the beginning of this movie. We have learned something. We have taken something away from this and we are better because of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is so, you know, the ending is so heartwarming, too, because oh, you, know, you dude, have, yes, it's just so like and that's the. That's the kind of movies, and it goes back to what we talked about actually earlier this week on our 200th episode, Ant-Man and the Wasp, is like, aside from the post-credit scene, I felt the movie was heartwarming. That it was like, this had a happy ending, you know, the characters got what they wanted, it was resolved, and I appreciate that because you don't always get that with movies. It's all about, you know, being dark and gritty, and, you know, they get what they want in the end, and they win, but they take something and something is taken from them or they have to sacrifice something and in Finding Nemo it's it's not like that at all it's about you know all this quote unquote terrible things happen to them for a reason they went through this adventure they went through this harrowing experience they came out on the other end learning something and being better characters and just better for themselves and being better to each other so their life is better in the end and it's yeah. not you know because life like life is normal but it's not very good for Nemo especially and even Marlin they both had to go through their trials and tribulations to learn something and otherwise come out the other side you know as better better fish i want to keep want to say people but fish better characters something like that right yeah dude i i totally agree with you i mean this this is you know the the more we talk about it, the the higher my planet score gets. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like, I I'm try I can't I'm not sh- I, I may have to, who my planet score I'm gonna have to think about that. I'm yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to rethink it now because you know the the cast the story the animation the the way it all kind of ties itself up really well, the 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 action the drama the intrigue the comedy, this is a very well-rounded movie very well-created movie and it's it's hard to find many faults with it you know i mean there may be some you know annoyances in the characters or there may be some scientific you know difficulties because you know somebody ruined my childhood do you you want me to ruin your childhood from a facebook (laughs) post that i read about a month ago sure go ahead lay it on me okay technically when um when one of the parent fish um dies like the one that we experience in finding nemo Mm -hmm. um whatever the gender of the offspring is the parent will switch genders so that they can reproduce and continue the family line yes i've heard this so marlin should have had a sex change and they should (laughs) have stayed at home making more fish rather than sending Nemo off to fish school. Yeah, totally inaccurate. Ruin the movie. I can never watch the movie again. It's just not scientifically accurate. (laughs) But can you imagine if they had tried to make it scientifically accurate and that was the movie they tried to make? It would have been like Shape of Water kind of gory, gruesome, weird. (laughs) Yeah, the, the, the opening scene is real enough for me. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Oh my gosh, gut-wrenching. Absolutely gut-wrenching. Uh, I don't know if I ever mentioned a favorite scene. Um, yeah, we gotta get you right, sir. I if, Honestly, I think my favorite scene is the scene in the jellyfish forest. 
I, yeah. I I really love how they they look at the trench and decide to go over it instead because Marlin tricks Dory, even though she said trust me on this and he didn't. And then later on, when she does say trust me on this, he looks at the scar that she gets from the jellyfish forest and realizes maybe he does need to trust her more. So it's it's a really great lesson. It's a great adventure. It's great discovery, realizing that even if you're in a dangerous situation, you can do your best to make the most of it for for the sake of your survival. And it's great visually. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, that's probably one of the best animated sequences of the entire film. Aside from, you know, the coral reef at the beginning of the movie... There's not a whole lot that challenges the the style and the pace and the color schemes that you get from the jellyfish forest. Yeah, again, just absolutely stunning visuals. Absolutely stunning. Oh yeah. And oh, also yeah. like another like really dangerous thing to go through and it's really harrowing. Like it turns out to be like, "Oh, we're trying to make this fun." And then it turns into like the horror of, you know, Dory getting caught up in that and, you know, Marlin trying to deal with that like Yep. Yep. So. That that is that is that is one of my that's that's one of my favorite scenes. I mean, I love Great the choice. I love the scene on the EAC as well. And then one of my other favorite scenes is the one that I want to use for our uh one of our other segments in a little bit. So I'm going to get to that in just a bit. Okay. Um but I got to go off on one more little tangent before we go to our planet scores for the night. When talking about favorite characters, I think it's pretty easy for me to say that Dory is my favorite character in this movie. I, I I love Nemo and I love that, you know, he got the name change to Sharkbait. Like the nickname Sharkbait is always going to be part of me. But something that was a part of me before the nickname Sharkbait was um, is the concept of people with intellectual differences. Mm-hmm. I, I have a relative that is uh, on the autism spectrum, and people see this person as an outcast and a misfit and somebody who just does not belong in society. And this person's been embraced by a few people and has a lot of admirers on social media, apparently, but in person... They feel very lonely. They feel very outcast. And I can't help but wonder if that's one of the reasons that they watch Finding Nemo so much. And Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer during Christmas season. Very is relatable movies. This concept of misfits, outcasts from society, who are finding their way. You know, that's one of the biggest messages that they send in this movie is that even if you're delayed, like Marlon says at one point in the movie, you know, you're one of those fish that cause delays. Even if there is a delay, that does not take away your quality as a person. That does not define who you are. And by the end of the movie, Dory overcomes that. And... She has this make-or-break moment where she tries to reel Marlon back in. You see that pun that I made? Tries to reel him back in? Yeah. She tries to reel him back in, and she's like, I look at you, and, and I'm home. I don't want to forget. 
I, I finally feel like I found a place where I belong, is basically what she's saying. And it's it's a it's a really heartbreaking, gut wrenching moment when she feels like she's on her own again. And so this message of accepting and embracing and learning from the the learning differences community is a really powerful message to me. And to have a character like that so prominently placed in the Pixar universe, it was a really progressive thing that they did. Yeah, You know, a lot of times back in 2003, they weren't worrying about people with ADD. Uh, back, back in 2003, ADD wasn't really diagnosed all that much. They just thought that the kid needed a spanking so that they would sit down and behave a little bit better. Yeah. Back in 2003, they weren't worrying about people on the autism spectrum. The, the, the numbers weren't staggering enough for people to worry about it all that much. Um, except for the people that were affected by it, of course. But to have that kind of representation and for them to feel encouraged in that way that, you know, hey, there's somebody that's like me that's out there. Even if they are in animated fish form. The fact that there's a character out there that I can relate to and learn that they can live a full and happy life with friends and family around them, that was a big deal. And it still is a big deal. So, you know, I I gotta really praise this movie again because it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. With the animation, the, the pacing, the characters, and the way that those characters were created and written. There's there's just so so much to praise about this film. Absolutely, it's just there's so we literally, we could we could spend all night easily, very easily spend all night praising this movie. We could spend a whole you know <laughs> several episodes, but we just don't have that kind of time, unfortunately. No, we don't. But I do feel like that is an appropriate final thought from me. Is that there's a lot about this movie that's ahead of its time. What um, what final thoughts do you have on Finding Nemo, dude? Um, I just I just can't say enough about how amazing this movie is and how how just you know gorgeous and heartwarming and all the things that you you know it, it's it's it establishes you know I think people still kind of put animated films down to a certain extent. Um, this this film, this particular film, Finding Nemo, won the Oscar of that year for Best Animated Feature. And it's of the opinion of a lot of people, including people like the uh, the director of Incredibles, I for, I'm forgetting his name, but, uh, you know, he and many other people are like, they shouldn't be categorized as animated films, they're just movies. And as, as big of an honor as it is to win an Oscar, and as much as it deserves it, like, this movie establishes that these movies are not just animated movies. They're just movies, and Finding Nemo is better than probably 90% of the live-action movies that have ever been created. Like, and it's just, it's, it's a breathtaking lesson in, like, these movies can just be, be just as powerful, just as heartwarming, just as heartbreaking, just as beautiful... It's any movie. It doesn't matter. It's just animated. And it's a ridiculous setting. Talking fish, 
one with dementia or not dementia, but like with with short term memory loss. Another that's lost. Like it's ridiculous, but you don't care about all that because at the end of the day, it's a great, great story. A story that will stick with you no matter if you've seen it once or a hundred times like we have. Like, it's just that great and just that wonderful. Okay, so I did a, a quick Google search while you were giving your final thoughts. Um, 2003 seems to be a pretty great time for movies, and mm. I didn't even realize it until now. But you want you want to know what what other movies came out in two thousand and three? I am at the edge of my seat. We had um, Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl oh, in two thousand three. We had Tom Cruise as the Last Samurai. <laughs> wow. We had the movie Holes that's based on a best selling book. We had X two X Men United. Mm. We had The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. We had School of Rock. And uh, let me see what else we had. We had Bruce Almighty. Oh, love that movie. We had the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Oh, never seen that movie. Never will. We had Too Fast, Too Furious, the Fast and the Furious (laughs) series. We had the Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh, wow. That's a throwback. We had Terminator 3, Brother Bear, and Freaky Friday. Ooh. And the icing on the cake. 2003 was also the year of Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I was going to say, one of the Lord of the Rings movies. So, man. Big movie. It, it would have been... Okay, here's the deal. I I love Finding Nemo. I really, really do, but oh my gosh, if it was going to be in contention for Oscar for Best Picture, 2003 would have been the worst possible year for it to get nominated. (laughs) You're right, the odds were stacked against it. (laughs) Like, I know Brad Bird is of that opinion that, you know, you, you should just categorize it as a movie, but if you just categorize it as a movie and you put it up against The Return of the King, I'm sorry, it's not coming home with any trophies. Yeah. Yes, it's yes. unfortunate. It's it's an unfortunate reality that we live in. Because now the Academy Awards are coming up with outstanding most popular film. And uh, honestly, I'm kind of insulted by that. Because that basically is just Hollywood's way of saying, yeah, Infinity War was the best movie of 2018, but we're not going to give it best picture because we're we're just too insulted by the the idea that a superhero movie would come home with best picture. Yeah. Like, they literally just came up with a new category so that it wouldn't go home with the movie of the year award. Yeah. And that's just sad. That's just really sad. So, so, I think planet we've had score, enough time. Right? Yeah, yeah. Planet scores, yeah, yeah. planet scores. We've planet had enough score, time for deliberation. Score. I think it's finally time to lay our bets on the line. Uh, so you me, go first. Yeah, for, for me, it is a solid 9 out of 10. It, it is a very, very solid movie. Hardly anything to nitpick. It's got great pacing, great characters, great animation. It's not a perfect movie. 
I, I, I'm kind of with my friend Mondo here that I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect movie. But it's very, very well made and probably one of my favorite Pixar movies. I don't even think it was in my top five, but going back and, and watching it again, I may have to revisit my list. Because mm-hmm. there's there's just not there's not a whole lot to take away from it to the point where I uh, where, where I would have it have it dethroned. Let me see. I had I had Up, Incredibles, Coco, Monsters Inc., and Toy Story, and my honorable mention was Wally. So it wasn't even in my top six. I'm definitely going to have to revisit that. <laughs> you had it. You had it at number three, which I think is a is a very appropriate place for it. But uh, what what uh, what planet score do you have for Finding Nemo, my friend? Well, you know, I, I know a lot of people take this very seriously, and that they don't. But you know, and you're you're saying a very good point that there maybe there is no perfect film. I'm not sure I agree with that, but. I don't know. Like I, 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 I've heard people say I, I don't. I reserve ten out of tens for, you know, just special cases or whatever. Like I reserve that for the best of the best. But I really feel like after watching this movie again, and you know, as a because you always look at you can't be as critical as you are when you're an adult as you are as a kid. You're not critical at all. You just watch things and they're enjoyable. But going back and revisiting this movie again, I'm like I don't. I can't find anything wrong with it. Like, I don't. I don't. There's nothing about this movie that I dislike at all. Like, uh, maybe if I watched it a hundred more times and overanalyzed it and probably watched a few video essays online about people criticizing it, if there's people... Because it's the internet. Everybody hates everything. But, like, I can't. I can't find anything. So, But if I can't find anything to hate about it or even dislike about it or even nitpick it, especially me as a very nitpicky person sometimes... I gotta give it a ten out of ten. Mm. Mm-mm. High praise from Mr. Hart. Now see and see, another thing is I can't remember what was on my top five movies you'll never say no to. But if I had to do that list right now, Finding Nemo would probably be number three or two. Wow. Wow. And all of this from IPC listeners putting it in their top fives and inspiring us to go back and watch it again so we can talk about it on the program. Indeed. Yeah. This is all you guys. This is all you guys. You top fivers. You made this happen and we get to revisit. We get to revisit this one. We also get to get on to some that we haven't seen before, but this was the first one that I have seen, but it was so nice to go back to it. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you to our listeners and thank you to our patrons. We, we've we got some very special people that contribute to the show financially who mm-hmm. usually get top billing when we do have top five episodes because we love their opinions and we love their input. And sometimes they'll host top five episodes with us. Uh, I think we've got a top five episode in the works. So if you are a patron, then uh, let us know if you are free to join us for a top five episode. If you want to be a patron 
and you want to join us on a top five episode or you just want to be part of the exclusive IPC team, then go to patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. We've got all the details there. There's nothing more than a $5 per month commitment. And with those five bucks, you get a lot of content. You get uh, exclusive access to a special offshoot podcast that we're going to be making for patrons only. You get to be part of a special Facebook group where you have one-on-one interaction with us pretty much 24-7, among a lot of other awesome things. So a big thank you to our current financial contributors like Joey Mays, Katie Horn, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, and Dan Grievous. We could not do what we do without help from people like you. So a big thank you to all of you. Absolutely, they make so much a difference, and hopefully more of you guys will join in because that means we got even more reason to and more to do with and make the show even better because we've been discussing things that will make the show better, make how we produce it better, make it sound better, put new things on it, but unfortunately it all costs money sometimes so it just it's a natural thing and there's only so our pockets are only so deep but if you're willing to drop a couple you don't have to do five bucks you do a dollar or whatever like they're every you know from five to one or whatever maybe we'll introduce some some higher ranking ones later maybe we'll do if you want to drop a hundred bucks on us that's fine that's fine but for right now we'll just keep (laughs) it down to five um not that much money you can find a dollar in your couch like, come on, in shame. Yeah, really. Like, just drop it on us. Just, just see what happens. Just just as an experiment. Just see what happens if you give us a dollar. Uh, it'll go a long way. I can promise you that. It goes towards our production budget. It goes towards our Podbean subscription so we can upload the episodes in a timely manner. It goes towards movie tickets so we can go watch things and review them for you right here on the show. It goes towards a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So... Any help you're able to give is always appreciated. Indeed. Uh, one thing that I also really appreciate is the fact that you and I both feel that we can quote a lot of stuff from Finding Nemo. Yes, we can. And for our quote of the night, I want to put that to the test. Do you feel up to that? I think so. I think so. We'll <clears throat> see. Okay. So uh, one scene that I didn't mention during the whole evening, and that's because I wanted to talk about it at this segment is the um the 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 vegetarian sharks anonymous group in the submarine <laughs> yes that's one that absolutely has to be made mention of because it's one of the zaniest moments in the whole movie it's absolutely hilarious and probably i i dare say one of the most quotable segments of the entire movie so mm-hmm. do you remember back in 2015 when we did our Star Wars episode discussions. We would do the quote-a-thon where we would just try and quote the movie as long as we could, back and forth, back and forth. Yep, I totally do. It's been a while since we've done that, but you've had a chance to refresh on this scene. I've got it memorized by heart. How do you feel about having a -a quote-a-thon with this particular scene where we just alternate back and forth, back and forth between characters and try and work out the scene as long as we can from when the bell dings when they first get into the submarine all the way up until when bruce says i'm having fish tonight (laughs) i probably won't make it very far just being completely honest but we'll see we'll see we'll see how it goes i'll i'll lead off and uh 
And when we get to the pledge, we can like recite it together like they do in the show. And we'll just, we'll see where it goes. <clears throat> so, I don't actually have a bell. I can't make a dinging noise. Does that sound like a ding? Close no, enough. No, Close enough. Not really. Close enough. Right then. The meeting has officially called to order. Let us all say the pledge. I am a nice a shark. shark. Not a mindless eaten machine. If I am to change this image, I must first change myself. Fish are friends, friends not, not food. food. Got that. Okay. Do you have the next one? No. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go too far. Okay. Do you mind if I take it from here then? Just go ahead. Yes. Okay. Fish are friends, not food. Except stinking dolphins. Dolphins? Yeah, they think they're so cute. Oh, look at me. I'm a flipping little dolphin. Let me flip for you. Ain't I something? Right then. Today's meeting is step five. Bring a fish friend. Now, do you all have your friends? Got mine. <laughs> hey there. How about you, chum? Oh, well, I um, I, I seem to have uh, misplaced my um, friend. <laughs> it's all right, chum. I had a feeling it would be a difficult step. You could help yourself to one of my friends. Ah, oh, thanks, mate. A little chub for chub, eh? I'll start the testimonies. Hello. My name is Bruce. Hello, Bruce. It has been three weeks since my last fish. On my honor. Or may I be chopped up and made into soup. Ah, you're an inspiration to all of us. Amen. <laughs> right then, who's next? Oh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. Yes, a little Sheila down front. Woo! Come on up here. Hi, I'm Dory. Hello, Dory. And, well, I, I, I don't think I've ever eaten a fish. Oh, that's incredible. Good on you, mate. Whew. I'm so glad I got that off my chest. Okay, you know what? I think the fact that I knew all of that kind of speaks for itself. I'm just... Yes, that was impressive, <laughs> to say the least. I'm just going to call it a night because we're getting short on time. But if you ever want to hear me go on the full tangent for that entire scene, uh, let us know on Facebook. Go find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at IPC Podcast. Maybe you'll hear us do it on an episode of RIPC because I could totally do that entire tangent if I wanted to. We're just a little short on time well, tonight. And, is, and also, let us know, guys. Give us some feedback, because uh, we can do both. Like, it's harder for movies like, like Harry Potter that we're, we just watched that we're not this familiar with. But, like, on the movies, like, I don't know, a Star Wars movie, I think we could pretty much nail it. So if you guys want to hear <laughs> less audio clips and more of us just trying to recite the movie... Let us know. We'll make it happen. Quotathons are really fun. I actually enjoy them, but I feel like after listening to us ramble on for ninety minutes, they're kind of ready to hear something else. And so, yeah, I, get I, I, I that that's that's kind of where I come from sometimes. But I'm totally game to actually try quotathons more often if we're able to. So yeah, yeah go find us on social media: uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at IPC Podcast. Find us personally on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can find Ben at Ben Hart with no E. You can find me at Zach underscore DFW. You can find other episodes on iTunes and StarWarsUnderworld.com, which is the official source for news, rumors, and updates from the Star Wars universe, and your place to find new episodes of iTunes, uh, of our episode. Why did I say iTunes? I was looking at the word iTunes on the show notes, and I'm like, <laughs> you can find new episodes of iTunes. iTunes. I IPC. 
it gets repeated like a dozen times on our intro music, and I still don't know how to say IPC. <laughs> IPC. Yeah, IPC. You, you can also find us on Podbean at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Well, now that I got that out of the way, I think it's time for the last segment of the night before yeah. we have to say goodbye. And uh, it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be a really doozy. We've been talking about fish all night, so I think it's kind of implied where we're going to be going with this last segment, folks. So get out your hashtags, and if you're listening live, put them in the chat. If you're listening through Podbean or iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen, go put it on social media. I just told you where to find us. Use it on Facebook. Use it on Twitter. Use it on Instagram, Pinterest, and everything else that might carry a hashtag. Because it is time, one more time, for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Okay, before I get too deep into Barbecue Watch, I just want to give a special shout out to our friend George Rivera in the chat. Whoa. Barbecue Sorry. again. I, I pushed barbecue. the button again. I'm barbecue. getting, getting ba- used to this. Ba- ba- I'm not getting barbecue. used to the system. He almost sounds like he's clucking. <laughs> uh, special shout out to our friend George who's been listening with us all evening live on channel1138.com. He gives Finding Nemo a 9 out of 10, and I completely agree, as I obviously stated earlier. Uh, for tonight's barbecue watch, it's pretty obvious. We've been talking about fish all night, so naturally the, the question that arises, can you or should you barbecue fish ben didn't thoughts? we just go through this sorry i had myself muted because i'm also trying to figure out this system oh Uh-oh. yeah that's what yeah. happens when you're doing new production stuff behind the scenes you gotta yeah. figure out the kinks didn't we just go through this didn't Did we? we just not did you just not repeat the lines fish are friends not food there we go yeah that's true and how dare you, meant, you bring that up on Barbecue Watch? Like, okay, so for a split second, I was worried that I actually rehashed an old Barbecue Watch topic, and I'm like, come on, man, give me a break. It's been 200 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> like, cut me some slack, man. How did we possibly come up with 200 different barbecue segments over the last four years? Something's bound to get rehashed. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. I, like I said, I grew up wanting to be a marine biology major, and so I always loved fish. I always loved sharks. When when I was a kid, uh, I ate maybe, like, bagged fried shrimp or fish sticks or something like that, but I never actually acquired the taste for fish. I never, I never got catfish, I never got trout, I never ate tuna salad. I was just not into seafood, and I'm still not. When I go to some place like Red Lobster, I get the chicken Alfredo. So, for me, the answer is a resounding no. Mostly because I'm just personally not a fan of fish, and because I wouldn't know how to barbecue it even if I tried. I understand that preparing and cooking fish is very different from any other meat, and that if you tried to slow cook it, or if you tried to put some barbecue sauce on it, there is some sort of science behind, you know, making it palatable. 
it's just nothing that ever applied to my palate. So yeah, for me, fish are friends, not food. I am just not a fan of eating fish in general. Now, as much as I loathe your your bringing this up on Barbecue Watch on this episode, um, <laughs> I grew up on the coast. Now I love seafood. Yeah, I eat seafood yeah. all the time. So you know, I can't really I can't really lie about that. Did I lose you? I thought that I thought there was a follow up point to that. I thought you were bringing up some other. Point. No, I just left it there. I just left it there. That's my apologies. You're just, you're just like, I did eat seafood. I grew up on the coast. I have eaten seafood. The less said about I, that, the better. Yeah, and then you just kind of dropped it, and I was like, okay. That was abrupt. I'm, I apologize. I, well, for a second, I thought you were going to follow it up with, like, because I've grown up on the coast, I actually have slow-cooked fish before, and this is how you do it. But no, you're just like, no. yeah, I eat. I've eaten fish before. No. Okay, okay, I will say, I will say, and we've talked about this before, smoked fish is amazing. It is amazing. It is so good. I haven't had any in quite a long time, but putting it on the smoker is divine. It is amazing, and if you ever get a chance to smoke some fish, do it. See, I would put it in a pipe, maybe, and that's how I would smoke it. Not get that pipe. kind of smoke! Get get high on tilapia, baby. Oh boy, that, that's be one that's of those. About, that's episodes. about all I could. That's that's about all I could do. Hey, it's getting late. It is right? getting late. It is getting it, late. It, it is it is getting pretty late. So I mean, I will take your word for it that that smoked fish is good. I don't doubt it. Um, here here's one thing that I've that I've seen from other local restaurants that that prepare fish. Uh, apparently, however you prepare it. Um, like if you prepare it on wood, apparently the wood acts like a natural seasoning for it. And depending on what type of wood you use, some of that flavor gets soaked up into the meat. So mm, I've okay. seen some people that use like like slow smoked catfish or tilapia on something like pecan wood or mesquite or something like that. And it allows the pecan and the mesquite flavor to get soaked up into the fish itself when you're eating it. Why people don't do that more often for other types of meat or other cuts of meat is beyond me. I kind of want to try it for something like chicken now. But apparently that is something that you could do to try and enhance it. And it adds to the smoky texture, I suppose, because, you know, wood, smoke, that kind of thing, obvious. Yep. But... You know, if if I did have to try something, I would probably try either either tilapia or trout, and I would want it slow smoked on mesquite wood. Right. That that's probably how I would try and reintroduce myself if I was to have barbecued fish of some kind. But you'd have to pay me like two thousand dollars or something like that, and it would have to be prepared by Gordon Ramsay himself, and it would have to be on. Food Network, you know, talking about somebody who's never eaten fish in 20-something-odd years, and he's only trying it because Gordon Ramsay's making it for him, that kind of thing. Like, it would take a lot to get me to have barbecued fish again. Well, jeez, kind of you're fish. not demanding at all? No I'm, I, no, I'm I'm totally low-maintenance. I'm super chill, obviously. And uh, you know what? That's a, that's a good word for this evening. It's been a pretty chill night, hasn't it? Chill. 
chill, it's been, dude. It's been chill, dude. First you were like, whoa. And then we were like, whoa. And then you were like, whoa. whoa. That's another scene I can do. Probably best save for another time. Maybe that's our next RIPC episode is we just try and, like, go back through this movie again and quote as much of it as we can and do, like, our best imitations or something. Yep. Yep. That would be hilarious. If you want to listen to that RIPC episode and other RIPC episodes, go find us at patreon.podbean.com slash ipcpodcast. A reminder that we also have IPC swag now available. Go yeah. to tpublic.com forward slash user forward slash IPC podcast. We've got a couple of designs and dozens of different types of things that you can slap that logo on. Uh, our friend Joey May said that he's buying a t-shirt and a sticker. I just bought a long sleeve t-shirt, a short sleeve t-shirt, a hoodie, and four stickers for myself. Dang. So cool. so here's the, here's the deal. I found out from that purchase that IPC takes a 15% cut, 15 to 16% cut, of whatever we sell. So I paid like 120 bucks, not including shipping, and IPC is getting 20 of that. Wow. So it's all like like whatever gets put into it goes back to IPC in some form and that 20 bucks is going straight into the production budget. You know? Heck yeah. Whatever whatever we sell from there, whatever we get from our patrons and our loyal listeners, that stuff is going right back into the show. So we could not do this without your support, and we don't want to do it without your support. So to all of us who, uh, all of you who have been with us for the last 201 episodes, a very heartfelt and hearty thank you. Indeed. But Ben, unless you've got anything else to follow that up with, I think it's time to call it a night. Yeah, I think we've just about covered everything, and it was fun and funny and all around Good times, and I just stole that from another podcast. You may know Uh-oh. it. Uh-oh. Um, but uh, who knows? But, yeah, this was great. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed Finding Nemo. I enjoyed talking about it, and I can't wait to do it all again next week. Next week, we continue the Pixar as we dive into the Monsters universe with Disney Pixar's Monsters, Inc. We hope that you'll join us for that on episode 202 of the IPC podcast. But for now... It's time to put this one to bed. Time to put me to bed as well. I'm calling it. Episode 201 is now officially in the books. For Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in with us. We hope that you'll tune in next time. But until then, we just want to leave you with this thought. A child stolen is a hope lost. Wow, that's fitting completely. Totally accidental. But we hope that you'll join us next time on the IPC Podcast. Until then, good night, everyone. It's far beyond the stars, it's near beyond the moon. I know beyond a doubt, my heart will lead me there soon. We'll meet beyond the shore, we'll kiss. Just like before Happy we'll be Beyond the sea And never again I'll go sailing
sure we'll kiss just as before. Happy we will be beyond the sea, and never again I'll go sailing. No more sailing. So long sailing, sailing. No more sailing. Bye, my friend. No more sailing. So long. Sailing. No more sailing. <laughs>